From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CogCast. Senator Scott Weiner represents San Francisco and northern San Mateo County in the California State Senate. Elected in 2016, he has focused extensively on areas pertaining to housing, transportation, civil rights, and much more. Before being elected to the Senate, Senator Weiner served as a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and also practiced law for 15 years. Joining us on the podcast today is the Senator himself as we discuss housing and his hopes for the future of California. So, Senator Weiner, thank you so much for being here with us today. Can you just start us off by sharing about the journey that led you to run for the California Senate? Uh, sure. So I, uh, I've always been involved in the community and um, have been on again, off again involved in politics since I was a teenager in the, in the late 1980s. And uh, ultimately moved to San Francisco in 1997 and uh, decided I didn't want to do politics and instead uh, got very involved in the LGBT community, mm-hmm. doing a lot of community work in addition to practicing law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then over the time, I started volunteering on some campaigns and then got more and more involved in the Democratic Party and ultimately served as chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and then decided to run for the Board of Supervisors uh, and then eventually ran for the State Senate. So it was a journey for me. It was uh, nothing that I (laughs) knew for sure I was going to do, but Mm -hmm. um, life ended up taking me in that direction. Definitely. So it sounds like you really love San Francisco. What's your favorite part? Um, uh, The the people. San Francisco is a very, uh, very progressive and forward-looking community. It's a mm-hmm. community that is willing to try new things. Um, it's also an amazingly beautiful city, mm-hmm. uh, physically and otherwise, and just a great place to be. Yeah, definitely. So transitioning more into our discussion, so you've been one of the most active state legislators in taking aim at the state's housing crisis, which is a a serious issue. Um, Can you talk about why you have chosen to take a lead in finding solutions to our housing shortage? Well, I think in many ways, it's the issue facing our state. Um, I mean, obviously COVID right now is (laughs) the issue facing our state, but before COVID and then we're going to be post-COVID and housing is at the heart of so many of our problems in California. It's, uh, it is at the heart of um, uh, people getting pushed out, not being able to afford to live here. It's at the heart of um, our problems around homelessness. Uh, it's at the heart of why we have such a high poverty rate. Uh, it, um, it, it is undermining our climate goals because it's pushing people into very long commutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is exposing us to more wildfire risk because more and more housing is getting built in wildfire zones because we make it so hard uh, to build housing in other areas. Um, And it's just an issue after issue that we're facing. um, Housing is at the heart of it. And Mm -hmm. so if we don't solve housing, 
we are going to struggle solving these other issues. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So I'd like to kind of zero in on one of the past bills um, that you took a really large lead on. So SB 50 has been at the top of the news, I guess, so to speak. And so of recent housing bills. So can you describe maybe what major tenants were included in the bill um, to our listeners on the podcast? Sure. Well, we have a multi-million home shortage of uh, housing in California. We're short, you know, somewhere between two and a half and three and a half million homes. It's huge. Uh, and as we build those homes, which we need to, um, we want to make sure we're doing it in a sustainable way and that we're not just building more and more sprawl mm-hmm. with all the environmental and other problems that that causes. And so SB 50 uh, is a very... Um, simple proposition saying as we build more housing, we should build it near where the jobs are, near public transportation. Um, And so the bill um, overrode local zoning and provided that in areas near jobs, near transit, you could not, um, uh, you could not say only single family homes. You had to allow small to mid-sized apartment buildings so Mm -hmm. that we were focusing more housing near jobs and transit, um, which is good for many reasons, uh, including uh, environmentally. Yeah, and you kind of t- started touching on this, but one point of opposition, I guess you could say, regarding SB 50 has come from some local jurisdictions who have viewed the bill as limiting, limiting local land use control. So can you talk about this and maybe how you would respond to that, that kind of um, sentiment? Yeah, I'm, I'm a lo- former local elected official, and so I'm very respectful of, of local governments. Local governments play a critical role. Um, but to me, the, the debate between local control versus state control is a really meaningless argument. It really, for most people, they don't care who's making the decision. They just want to make sure that the problem is getting solved. They don't want to have an argument about should it be the city or should it be the state. They just want to have a place to live and they want to make sure their kids are going to have a place to live and they want to make sure that their neighbor um, doesn't have to live in a car. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what they care about. And so we get caught up in these local versus state arguments and it's really uh, honestly a meaningless argument. Um, If cities could solve the housing crisis on their own, that would be great. And I would not have to do any state legislation, (laughs) but the reality is in California, for many, many, many years, mm. we have had almost pure local control over housing, uh, and it's been a failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because while there are certainly cities that want to do right by housing, it's not about broad brushing or demonizing cities. There are a lot of cities that want to do the right thing. Um, there are many cities that that either don't try at all, or they try a little bit. Um, and cities also don't have a lot of incentive to build housing. Hmm. Prop 13 makes it very um, not financially lucrative tax-wise to favor housing over commercial uh, development. Uh, In addition, um, you know, cities uh, sometimes perceive building housing as creating more strains on services. Hmm. And they think, well, why should I build allow housing because my neighbors aren't going to allow housing. And so ultimately it's a little bit like public education we have local school districts that make a lot of local decisions, um, but we have the state education code. We have basic standards for education in California. And yet until recently, we really didn't have that for housing. And it was the wild west and a race to the bottom. Hmm. And so what we've been doing in the last number of years is methodically 
setting state standards in place uh, to make sure that cities have a framework and are actually accountable for allowing housing mm -hmm. um, because uh, this is a statewide issue. It's not a city by city issue. Mm -hmm. It really sounds like in the approach with SB 50, it was trying to take kind of a step back from the immediate circumstances of what's happened, maybe even in the past five years, but look at more of the overarching theme of decades. Would you say that that's correct? Well, it's trying to uh, um, dig out of the, the 50, year, 50 year hole that we have dug uh, for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've dug a hole and we need to dig out of it. So SB 50 didn't make it out of the Senate this year, um, but where do you go from here as you continue to address our state's critical need for housing? Because that definitely hasn't changed. Well, we've passed some really good and strong laws in the last four or five years. Um, we have, you know, we had a number of good bills moving forward this year, unfortunately, due to a number of circumstances, a number of them have died. Hmm. Um, so we only have a few um, really a few good um, housing production bills moving forward um, and hopefully we'll get them passed. Um, so we had some missed opportunities this year. Um, with that said, uh, you know, we'll just have to keep working next year. Mm -hmm. So kind of a question regarding the tie and tension between housing and economic development. So do you, do you know if the state has ever considered economic development as a way to stimulate housing development? Um, what are what are some of your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think it's the opposite. I think it's mm -hmm. housing stimulates the economy, if you don't have enough housing and workers can't find a place to live, you're going to undermine your economy. And that's what we're doing now in California. So I view, I view it as, uh, as the opposite. Mm -hmm. Thanks for clarifying. Um, so kind of taking a closer look at the inland SoCal regions like Riverside and San Bernardino County, um, we're poised to be um, continuing to grow among the fastest in California. And so what do you think is the best way for these areas to grow responsibly in the next 10, 15, 20 years? Well, the Inland Empire, you know, there are a lot of people who commute um, into Los Angeles or, you know, Orange County. Um, and, and that's okay. But I, these are also, these are you know, Riverside County and, and, San and San Bernardino County, but especially Riverside, these are huge mm -hmm. counties that are just growing and growing and growing. Um, and so, uh, you know, ideally you want to have, there, it's its own region, you want to have centers, you want to have cities that are more dense in terms of housing and economic activity. So you end up having your own center of gravity mm. economically. And I know that's happening, but um, you, you know, to have uh, a, a, an area be sort of a hub economically, it has to be more of a, a city, right? With, with, mm -hmm. with housing density, with business density, um, making it a job and transit center, and a place where you have lots of restaurants and bars, and, um, and then it can become a, a hub for the surrounding area. And then um, people maybe instead of commuting into LA, they're commuting into in the riverside or or wherever um so um you know it's it's a matter of just sort of urban planning but you know every region is unique and the inland empire is unique it's different than the bay area it's never going to be a, there's no template for this mm -hmm. um but idea you know you, you, of course we all want to see the inland empire be more and more of an economic engine on its own 
uh, which it is in many ways. There's obviously plenty of industries in the Inland Empire, um, but you know, ideally, maybe if fewer people can do multi-hour commutes every day because mm-hmm. they have jobs that are closer to home, um, that would be uh, important for many reasons. Right, and I'm sure those making the commutes would also m- much more prefer a shorter commute time. Yes. So kind of switching gears a little bit, we haven't really talked about it yet, but in regards to COVID-19, obviously has created a various set of challenges. Um, And I'm sure you've seen some that have expressed predictions that COVID will cause people to move away from higher density developments in search of more isolated communities, taking maybe social distancing to the nth level. And we know that transit ridership in a different different kind of sector is also down and may stay down for a little bit. So what are your thoughts on some of these observations? I think those predictions are bogus. I mean, they're completely bogus. Mm-hmm. Yes, right now there are people who want to, you know, be out in the countryside. They don't want to get on the bus. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Right. But this pandemic will end. We're going to get, we'll get a vaccine or we'll, uh, you know, and a and treatment. And, you know, when, you know, we've had, we've had worse pandemics than this. We had the, the Spanish flu. There's been smallpox. There's been horrible pandemics. Did cities go away? No, cities mm-hmm. kept growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think there are a lot of hot takes about COVID and everyone has an opinion about what's gonna be permanent. We're not gonna need office buildings anymore, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and so, uh, we're, you know, housing density does not fuel COVID. What fuels COVID is when you have four families living in one home together because there's not enough housing and people can't afford their own home. It's not about the density of housing. It's about crowding of people within housing. So if you have a single family home with four families in it, as opposed to a four unit apartment building with each family living in their own unit, which which is riskier? It's a single family home with four families crammed in together. And so we have to make sure we're being fact-based in these discussions. Um, and so it's not density of housing, it's crowding within housing, which can happen in a single family home or in a in an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so cities are going to be fine after this. Cities will be, you know, I, I know plenty of people who have gone up to the North Bay in the Bay Area um, d- during the pandemic, but they're going to come back. They're not going to stay up in a rural area uh, forever. Um, and then public transportation, that's another one where there's been a lot of misinformation. There was this notion, and, and all of this started because Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York uh, decided to pass the buck and not accept personal responsibility for what happened in New York City in terms of New York's, New York's delayed response mm-hmm. and blamed the density in the subway of New York, and, and it just wasn't accurate. Um, the subway in New York City or elsewhere is not uh, a, a, any kind of driver of COVID, no more so than the Costco is or church. Yes, if you crowd a lot of people together anywhere, you know, you, you have risk of contagious disease. Um, but transit is no more risky than any than going to the supermarket. Um, and yes, right now we don't want to pack people in. You know, I rode the bus on in San Francisco, um, you know, recently and you can keep all the windows down. You make sure that people aren't crowding um, and it's all fine. Uh, and transit ridership is way down now. Um, in large part because people are working from home, 
but it'll go back up again. And transit is so critical to our future. We can't afford millions more cars in California and the US. We're gonna destroy the planet. We gotta get people out of their cars if they're able to and give them the option of public transportation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for your thoughts on that. Um, Along in the same groove as the COVID-19 discussion, what do you think should be the next steps taken by the state to address current cases of COVID as well as the spread of the virus in California? Uh, well, we have really, uh, not, and this is not just California, this is a national problem, but California is no exception. Um, we're just not, not only are we not testing enough people, we make it really hard for people to get tested. You look at countries that have been successful with testing and contact tracing, you can go any walk down the street and there's just like a little place and they swab you and you get quick results and, and, and it's just easy breezy. And so people get tested and you get tested regularly and and that's how you tamp it down and in this country it's like i feel like in this country we've forgotten how to just do things or solve problems and we're paralyzed and part of it is we have an incompetent president um who's absolutely incapable of doing anything even apart from his politics he's just incompetent and he has absolutely because of his incompetence people have died in this country who did not need to die um, and we and we don't have a national testing strategy and California, you know, also we've not done what we need to do in, in San Francisco. It takes one to two weeks to even get scheduled uh, for an appointment. Uh, you know, it, it's it shouldn't take that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to not only increase our testing capacity, but we have to have more outlets just places where people can easily go and conveniently go. You shouldn't have to drive a half an hour to get a test. People should be able to get it where they are. Mm -hmm. In terms of collaboration, California, as we've kind of briefly and touched on throughout the um, throughout this interview, um, it's a really large state with a variety of demographics and communities and regions. As you mentioned earlier, there's no template necessarily either. Um, But how do you think as a state we can better work together and collaborate on issues? Well, I mean, I think we do work together, and I see it in the legislature. I mean, I work with the with the delegation from the Inland Empire all the time. Your senators, your assembly members, um, and have a very good working relationship, and you have really excellent uh, members. Um, and I think it's really important for all of us to get out of our our own community. I mean, obviously, we represent our own community. That's so important. But you have to understand what's happening in other parts of the state what the political pressures are in other parts of the state, what the needs are. Mm-hmm. And by understanding that, you can learn how to work effectively with members from other parts of the state, and you can deliver more for your own community. Um, so we all have an obligation to have some familiarity with the regions that we don't represent. Mm-hmm. And then just closing out our time, um, we're more than halfway through the year of 2020, which seems crazy yeah. to me. Um, but what do you hope to see happen in California over the next five years? Well, I want us to really move the dial on housing by, you know, just really putting in place all the laws that we need to to facilitate housing production. Um, I want to see us uh, have a big investment in affordable housing for low-income people. Uh, I want us to uh, help help ramp up a uh, much larger skilled construction workforce because uh, we have a shortage of construction workers mm-hmm. now for a variety of reasons. Um, 
I uh, I want I want to see high speed rail um, happen and and connecting transit uh, rail networks uh, so that more and more people can get around without having to drive a car uh, everywhere. And I want us to take bold action on climate change in terms of reducing uh, carbon emissions dramatically uh, and also um, really addressing uh, you know shoring up our state around sea level rise and wildfires. Mm -hmm. We're way behind on that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today. Um, do you have any thank final you. remarks before we close out? Uh, no, I, I appreciate uh, your work. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. For more information on WRCOG and the COGcast, please visit our website at www.wrcog.us. For more information about Riverside County's efforts on COVID-19, please visit rivcoph.org slash coronavirus.